Our second Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 12. It's also on page 674 of the Pew Bible and up on the screen. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has, not, has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is God's word. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter from Isaiah. And we pray, our God, that as we consider the salvation that you have given us, as we consider all that you have done for us, we pray that we would be joyful. We pray that we would rejoice in all that you have done and in all that you will do. We pray that our love for you would grow and that it would be evident in all that we do, in all of our lives. And we pray this in your Son's name and for your glory. Amen. One day in 2009, my life changed, never to be the same again. I woke up that morning like I had every other morning before it. And then I went to bed different. I woke up a single man and I went to bed married. At the church, the announcement was made that the bride had arrived. The music began, in walked the bridesmaids, and then there she was, beautiful, walking down the aisle with her dad. She was emotional, her lip was quivering as she got closer, and finally, finally she was with me. But something strange was going on inside me as all of this was happening. It's really hard to explain, but it's as if I had checked out emotionally. I wasn't really there. I listened, I sang, I prayed along with those who prayed, but emotionally I was blank. I can remember thinking to myself while I was saying my vows that I need to snap out of this because this is really important. This was the day that we'd been waiting for, for what felt like years when it was only months. We had planned the ceremony. We had chosen the songs and the Bible reading with care. We were surrounded by our friends and our family. This was a day that was supposed to be full of joy, a day to remember, and here I was, blank. Has that ever happened to you? 
maybe not quite emotionally blank, but maybe you haven't reached the heights of the emotion that you thought that you should. Maybe you weren't quite as happy as you thought you should be, or as sad. Here's the big question. Are we like this with our salvation? Are we like this with Jesus? Christians have been given the greatest thing ever. We believe in a message that has inspired thousands upon thousands of songs, that has given hope in the darkest places. It's a message where people are freed from the burden and the bondage and the guilt of sin. But are we blank? Have we connected emotionally with this message? How should we respond? In Isaiah 12, Judah are told how they will respond to their salvation. And it won't be with emotionless words or sacrifices. They will respond with joy. And we should too. The call of Isaiah 12 is rejoice in God's salvation. We'll be looking at the chapter in two parts. In verses 1 to 3, we're told rest, rest in God's salvation. And in verses 4 to 6, declare God's salvation. So first, rest in God's salvation. Verse 1, in that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. In that day. What day is he talking about? Well, to answer that, we, we need to know what's happened before this in the first 11 chapters. Because that day is the day of salvation. Because there's a foreign army coming. The dreaded Assyrians from the north even more barbaric than ISIS are today, they were coming and they would burn everything in their wake. The crops would be destroyed, the smaller towns and villages would be ruined and the people in them would be tortured, killed, taken as slaves. There was no Geneva Convention here, no human rights. It would be horrific. They were coming and as the army surrounds Jerusalem, a walled city, the food inside the city would eventually all get eaten up. While the army outside was able to eat well, to resupply, the city would get nothing from the outside. They would either starve to death or they'd let the enemy in so that they could do whatever they wanted to them. It's a horrific choice. Can you imagine the terror? But God promised that they would be saved from that. They would be rescued. And in that day, they'll give thanks to the Lord, not simply because he had saved them from Assyria, but, verse 1, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Assyria, that big and powerful nation that threatened to destroy them, wasn't the true problem. 
no matter how terrifying their army, it's not really Assyria that Judah needed to worry about. God was going to judge. And Assyria was simply his tool. Isn't that a terrifying thought? God coming to judge. So angry that he would send a cruel and vicious enemy like the Assyrians. This is the God who rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. The God who destroyed the walls of Jericho in Joshua 6. In in his anger, he'll send Assyria against them. And wouldn't you be terrified? To have God be angry with you, ready to destroy you. Who can stand before God when he is angry? But what good news this verse brings. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Judah hasn't done anything to deserve this comfort. God has turned his anger away from them, not because they've made up for their sin, but so he could comfort them. Their salvation comes from God, verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. No fear. What a radical change. No fear, because Assyria wouldn't destroy them. And so they'll sing the song that Israel sang in Exodus 15 after God saved them from Egypt. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Every one of them could rest finally in God's salvation. God had comforted them. He had brought salvation. They could rest finally without fear. He was their strength and song. God had saved them. Verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Joy. Their lives had been consumed with fear. Destruction was at their door, but now they have been saved. And so they can rejoice finally. This is what they've been longing for. This chapter, Isaiah 12, is an incredible prophecy. And we see it play out in uh, Isaiah 36 and 37. God saved Judah. Not by some amazing battle strategy. Not by bringing in another nation to take out the Assyrians. God sent one angel. And with that one angel in a single night, he destroyed the army. 185,000 soldiers. Isaiah 12 tells us what Judah's reaction will be to this news. They will rejoice. They will rejoice because they can now rest in God's salvation instead of being terrified at his judgment. They won't be emotionally checked out like I was. They'll feel joy. God's people 
would be under God's judgment, but in compassion, he would save them and they would rejoice. It's an incredible moment in the history of God's people. The Israelites were being judged for their sin, but God's judgment isn't isolated to the past. Jesus himself said in in Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have all sinned. We all deserve that same judgment that Israel was warned about. Actually, we deserve hell. The hell that Jesus describes. The coming judgment of the Assyrian army was just a foretaste of the judgment that will come. And Israel's salvation is an incredible picture as well of the salvation that he will provide 600 years later. Just outside Jerusalem, that same city that God would save from the Assyrians, God would provide another, greater salvation. This time he wouldn't send an angel, he'd send his own son. And this son wouldn't come simply to take, uh, simply to save them from salvation, he would take, sorry, to save them from judgment, he'd take the judgment himself. Outside Jerusalem, the Son of God would bear the full anger and the full judgment of God for all who'd have faith. Salvation would come. And how do you feel as I say those words? I'll admit that sometimes, even as I say them myself, I take it for granted. I can still be numb. Become numb to this amazing news, just like I was at my wedding. When we sing in church, I find it so easy to sing the words, but not really take any notice of what they're saying. To feel no awe in me, no wonder at what God has done for me in Jesus. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it all just starts to get normal, doesn't it? We get used to this news. You start to lose that wonder and shock that God would send his own son to die on a cross to take the punishment that should have been on me. How is that possible? How can we lose that wonder, that joy, that awe? Here are just two possible reasons. One, it's because of when we are. We live between the times. Salvation has come. Jesus died on the cross to save those who would believe, who would have faith in him. We're not guilty anymore. We are free. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus hasn't come back yet. 
And so here and now we still experience heartbreak and we still experience pain. We still suffer, even though we've already been saved from God's anger. Beck and I were reminded of this a few days ago. We were reminded of one of the babies that we lost to miscarriage. Life now still hurts. We are saved, but we still suffer through temptation and sin. We long for a new world and a new body where we won't struggle with those things anymore. But now we have to wait until Christ returns and we find it hard to hold on to the hope. We find it hard to hold on to joy as we go through all the struggles now. A second reason we lose our joy and we go through the motions is because we don't actually appreciate what we've been saved from. We're comfortable thinking about God's grace. But how often do we think about sin and do we contemplate the hell that we've been saved from? The good news can only be appreciated fully when you really appreciate and understand the bad news. Getting a good mark on an easy test is just not as good as getting a good mark on a really hard test. Judah would be overjoyed at being saved, but only because they had been so terrified at the Assyrians who were coming. Given these two things, what, what should we do? How can we rest and how can we rejoice in God's salvation? First, we need to think about what we've been saved from, don't we? Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were by nature objects of wrath because of our sins. We weren't almost earning our way to heaven. We were objects of wrath. That's who we were. No amount of being good or diligent or successful could save us. And more than that, we didn't even want saving. Paul says in Romans 1 that we celebrated sin. We loved sinning and we loved watching others sin as well. We loved doing all the things that would send us to hell, which Jesus describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Second, we need to think about what it took to save us. To save Judah, God sent one angel who would wipe out the Assyrian army in one night. That's pretty easy. For us, to save us, he sent his son who became a man. The one who made the stars was placed in a manger. And he grew up only to be humiliated and placed on a cross where he would die a tortured death. That's what it took to save us. We were completely lost with God's anger burning against us. We had no hope. But now, because of Jesus, we do have hope. Now, because of him, we can rest. Our salvation is secure if we trust in him. 
God has turned his anger away and so we have nothing to fear. God is our salvation. And so like a hiker who has lost his water, who has no, no water on the mountain and discovers finally a stream, like him, we can taste with joy from the waters of salvation. Third, we need to hold on to our joy, even through trial. Paul says in Romans 5, we rejoice also in our suffering, not because we like suffering, but because we know that God uses suffering for our good. And so as we suffer, as we go through that pain, one of the prayers that we can pray through our, our pain is that God would help us to rejoice, to rejoice that he has saved us and is working through us and is working even through our hardship. We can pray that he would help us to rejoice. With rejoicing, Christians can rest in salvation. We've been saved from the terrors of hell by Jesus' death. With joy, we can rest in that knowledge, even through the most searing pain. Do you know this joy? If not, let me urge you, keep, keep listening. Keep listening. Our joy at God's salvation and the rest that we have in that salvation leads us to verses 4 to 6. Declare God's salvation. Verse 4, in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. In that great day of salvation, the people of Judah will encourage each other. They'll encourage each other to declare God's salvation. Did you notice that? This isn't, that it's not that they're being told what to do. It's describing what they will do. This is the spontaneous reaction of the people. You, the people who have been saved, will say in that day to each other. But who do they declare God's salvation to? First, they declare it to God in praise. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name, verse 4. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things, verse 5. The people of Judah were to praise God, to declare to God that he had saved them. And that's obvious, isn't it? When someone does something wonderful for you, you, you thank them. You gush over and over about how wonderful they are for doing what they did. Two years ago, our car broke down and... We didn't have much money at all. We weren't sure what we were going to do. And when the news got out, we received a letter from a retired couple that we know. This couple had been very generous with us, supporting us through university ministry, supporting us through time at Bible college. And in this letter was a cheque for $1,000. We were so thankful as I hope you can imagine, we were very thankful, but our reaction didn't stop there. We thanked them. It wouldn't have been good enough to just be thankful. We had to tell these people 
how grateful we actually were. This was completely unexpected. This was generosity on top of generosity. But as incredible as this uh, couple's generosity was, it was nothing, nothing compared to what Judah would experience. God's anger would be turned, turned away. Assyria would be gone. What else was there to do but thank God, to sing praises to him? It wouldn't be good enough to only rest in God's salvation, to feel comfort. They needed to declare God's salvation to God in praise. And don't we do the same thing? We declare God's salvation to God. How could we do anything else when we understand what we've been saved from? That we've been saved from sin and from hell? Can we do anything other than praise him like Zechariah did in Luke 1? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he's redeemed his people. Once we were objects of wrath and dead in sin, but because of his great mercy, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, Ephesians 2. And so first, who should we declare God's praise to? First, we declare it to God. But second, we declare it to everyone else. Verse 4, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse 5, let this be made known to all the world. And how could you do otherwise? God had saved them. He had saved them from Assyria. The very reason that God had saved them from Egypt all those years ago was so that they would be a light to the nations. Now, normally, for most of their history, this, this meant that they would obey the law, that they would show how good God was through that, that through their actions, they would attract people to God. But here, here they were supposed to go out. They were supposed to rejoice in God's salvation, and that joy was to be so extreme that they couldn't keep it to themselves. And so they'd encourage each other, go out there, tell the nations... They need to know what God can do, what our God has done. What God has ever destroyed an army, let alone the Assyrian army, without even the help of his people. In joy, they would go and they would declare God's salvation to others. And don't you want to be like Judah? Because we've experienced the greater salvation. Not from an army, not from Assyria, but from sin and from death and from hell. That's an incredible salvation. And it's news that everyone needs to hear. They are sinners, just like we were, just like we are. And God's wrath is burning against them. God is wonderfully rich in his mercy and grace. In his kindness, he has sent Christ. That if they would believe, they would be accepted in love. And so will we go? Will we declare God's salvation with joy? Will we warn them of their sin and of God's judgment? Will we pray that God's spirit would open their eyes just like he has opened our eyes? to the horror of sin, to the reality of judgment, 
Will we declare God's salvation so that they might know rest? So that they would be welcomed into God's family, welcomed into grace. Joy impacts our evangelism because we don't want to keep this good news to ourselves, do we? We look for opportunities to give good news. We look for opportunities to bring it up in conversation or we'll randomly introduce it. Doesn't matter what's happened before, we'll randomly bring it into the conversation. If we're filled with more joy, how much more impactful will our evangelism be as people see that this news has actually impacted me, has impacted us? When my three children were born, we didn't keep the news to ourselves. We quickly told our family, it's happened. Pictures were posted on Facebook quickly. We couldn't contain ourselves. We wanted to share our joy. And so let's do the same with this great message of salvation. Let's let's declare it to the world. If you don't have this joy, let me urge you to find it today. If you haven't received God's salvation, do it today. God is offering to save you right here and right now. In his mercy and in his love, in his compassion, he sent Jesus to die on that cross, to bear the sin of a wicked world. He took the anger of God himself. He died in the place of sinners so that his people could be free, could be free and forgiven and full of joy. Come to him now. He's he's offering a life of joy, not not a life free of of pain and struggle and, and hardship. That will come later. But for now, he still offers a life of joy. Come and sing with with John Newton, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Don't leave today without that joy. Turn to him today and find salvation. Isaiah 12 tells us to rejoice in God's salvation. We aren't supposed to be emotionless at this news, at all that he has done for us like I was at my wedding. We should be filled with joy. We should rest in our salvation and we need to declare that salvation with joy. And verse 6 wonderfully summarises the the emotion and, and the passion of this passage. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, how wonderful you are to give us this wonderful salvation. We praise you for this wonderful gift. We praise you that you have saved us from the horror of sin, the horror of hell. 
But all we need to is trust in your Son. Fill us with joy, we pray, at this wonderful news that we would share it with all that we know. Our God, may our lives be filled with joy even as we struggle through hardship. May we never let this news be normal to us. But let it always shock us and fill us with awe and wonder. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.